Good afternoon. It's October 27th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a podcast from 24-7 Sports dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news, all within 15 minutes or fewer. Sometimes more, but not often. Try not to dwell on it. It's it's a goal. Uh, I'm Connor Tapp, and on Sundays, the day's college football news is the games that just happened on Saturday. So Trey Scott joins me to unpack everything we just witnessed. Trey, I can only imagine that Saturday was a roller coaster ride for you, bumpier than last week's ride aboard the Sooner Schooner. In the noon slot, OU goes down, and then in the 3 o'clock slot, you're feeling pretty good, but then Texas goes down. What a day in the Big 12. Big 12 had three top 25 teams playing on Saturday, and all three of them lost. Uh, so the the, impl- the the takeaway here with OU's 48-41 loss at Kansas State, not shocked. And I say that because that's just sort of par for the course in the Big 12. As you know, it, it's a it's a league of cannibal cannibalization. I don't know if I said that right, but it's 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 the league where you beat Texas. And your defense has nine sacks, and two weeks later you go up to Manhattan, Kansas, and you can't get it done. And, and that's sort of the, the story of the conference. And I wonder now, Connor, if they're going to be left out of the playoff. I think nah, that's just me diving into the macro thing. At least for Oklahoma, like 48-41 was, is not as bad as it was. And they narrowed the gap with that furious fourth-quarter rally to make sure that they didn't have a 20-point road loss on their on their resume, which mm. has kept teams out of the playoff mm. before. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, without getting too into the weeds and, like, playoff scenarios, like, I, I think the bigger concern here for Oklahoma is, uh, with, without knowing what their remaining schedule is off the top of my head, uh, but, like, it's less, will they get left out if they win out but I, I feel like it's more likely that they lose another game than that they that, that they don't, kind of based on what we saw on Saturday. What we've kind of seen in previous weeks, yes, the offensive numbers are really impressive. Yes, the defense is much improved over years previous, but there is not that kind of ruthless efficiency that we're seeing from other teams at the top, teams like Ohio State, teams like LSU, uh, Clemson in the past few weeks. I'll go ahead and say it. We'll get to them <laughs> in a bit. But um, And uh, Alabama, when two is healthy. So I even even in the Texas win we talked about after the game, like, yes, nice win for Oklahoma, but there was just a little bit of creakiness in, in some of the things on offense. And in this game, they end up settling for three first-half field goals. Those end up being pretty important in spots where Lincoln Riley has maybe traditionally been a little bit more aggressive. They do turn it over twice, and they didn't score it all in the third quarter when Kansas State kind of built that big – lead um that they then eventually chipped into but um so yeah tough tough day for the big 12 a lot of bloodshed baylor very smart to have scheduled their (laughs) bye week um they will enter november as we get ready to turn the calendar here as the only undefeated team in the big 12 if for, for more on baylor and kind of what they their their philosophy and their process and how they've rebuilt that program check out the episode we recorded last week with chris hummer uh so trey in i i was very i actually that oklahoma kansas state game kind of snuck up on me because i went into my mental prep for saturday was that i was going to be honed in on ohio state 
and Wisconsin in the noon slot. And I wasn't, I didn't think I'd have much need to turn away from that one. Uh, but boy, boy, was I wrong there. Uh, Ohio State, 38 to 7. They ended up winning by a lot, but it was 10 to 7 in the third quarter. Uh, I thought Justin Fields was fine, but really it was J.K. Dobbins running the ball and just some serious disruption from Chase Young in that Ohio State defense breaking this one open. Yeah, four sacks by Chase Young. I I really enjoyed watching the first half of that, and then it, obviously it got ugly. Uh, but it, it was sort of a throwback college football game. The weather made for sort of a fun element to it. Okay, so... Connor, Ohio State, their defense, I thought, was the story of the day, despite yes. the fact that I'm not you know, going to act like Wisconsin has the world's most explosive offense. And Jack Cohn, I think, is sort of getting exposed the last few weeks. But Ohio State, I, I think Chase Young is putting together the best defensive season, at least since Ndamukong Sue in 2009 and you saw on Twitter a lot of Heisman buzz yeah. for Chase Young that's obviously not going to happen I guess right. I would still be surprised if he made it to New York as a finalist uh the Buckeyes will have a I guess now a trio of Heisman guys possibly splitting votes but Chase Young's impact was was a big takeaway for me former top five recruit and sort of waiting in the wings behind Nick Bosa and is now doing things that neither of the Boses were a- ever to- able to do in college, which is not you know taking a shot at either of the Boses. They were great, tremendous college players who were early NFL draft picks, but Chase Young is sort of at a different level, which is scary because that Ohio State defense, one of the top units in the country, you know the Buckeyes struggled last year on that side of the ball, and now they, they, they absolutely have the defense. And it's not just stout. It's explosive and ferocious and you know, turnover causing. And uh, this is a, an extremely loaded and exceptional team. Yeah. Only real scary moments here for Ohio state were a couple plays where Justin Fields took some pretty serious hits, looked like he might be injured, ended up being fine, but that'll be, that'll be something to monitor. The, the, the Buckeyes do have Maryland and Rutgers coming up the next two weeks. So maybe you just give fields a couple of bye weeks, maybe first quarters only, uh, something like that uh, against some of this lesser competition because then they finish out the year with Penn State and, of course, with the game on the road at Michigan. So, I mean, early on in the season, all the talk was Ohio State, yeah, they're doing great, but they haven't really played anybody. Well, now they're starting to play people. And, you know, Wisconsin, certainly a flawed team. I think we're learning, but uh, a really impressive performance for Ohio State uh, against a top 15 opponent. The interesting thing is they are finally playing people and they're throttling those people so bad that it makes us think that those teams aren't any good. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, they beat Wisconsin 38 was to seven. And we're like, oh, it's Wisconsin, which is a weird take to all of a sudden have. But because yeah. it's just 38 to seven, not even close. Uh, Michigan State, 34 to 10. Nebraska, Nebraska's not any good, but 48 to seven. It's Indiana's kind of good. They beat them 51 to 10. So they're, they're, they're doing things to teams that sort of make us – it's 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 man they're good i uh and before we move on from justin fields he's kind of got that braxton miller spin move i think i forgot how explosive as a runner justin fields was yeah uh ohio state looking really good Uh, and we'll we'll talk that we got a new ap poll out and ohio state's only number three and i i get it's crowded at the top uh, it's a lot of good teams at the top, but three just feels so low for Ohio State the way they're playing right now. And, and I know there are only two other options higher than that, but that's just kind of the way things are. Uh, another stress test 
for these top four teams this week was LSU playing Auburn at home. Kind of a game that got weirdly overlooked. And as this game was close into into the second half and ultimately to the very end, I was kind of like, man, we. I feel like we did not pay enough national attention to the fact that you know Auburn's pretty good and could give LSU some problems. LSU ends up winning 23-20. to Kind of looked like it might be Auburn's day for a while. The Tigers were profligate inside the Auburn 40. They were on the wrong end of a couple of goal line stands, and we got a rare Joe Burrow interception. But ultimately, the Tigers still end up going for over 500 yards of total offense. And uh, Auburn does get a late touchdown and onside kick attempt to kind of make this one look a little bit scarier than maybe it really felt by the end. But uh, Trey, impressions of LSU coming out of this one? Yeah, you're right. We should have hyped this one better. We, we should have also known that Auburn's defense could have given LSU problems, and that Auburn front seven is awesome. So, like They had several goal line stands. They made life really hard for LSU, and it, today or Saturday was a day in which LSU had to run the ball and rely on the ground attack, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire was great, and they needed him. Impressions of LSU, they're going to be fine unless they play a team who can beat whose defensive lineman can beat the offensive lineman in one-on-one battles. And I don't even know if Alabama's defense can do that yet. So I feel pretty good about LSU uh, because this was a stout defensive test, and they got through it. Uh, I think they had some goal line calls that they probably would like back, and you know maybe they could have won this one by more than three. But I also want to you know tip my cap to, to Auburn. And I don't know if Gus Malzahn will keep his job because they're, you know, they beat Oregon and now, but they're starting to lose the games we sort of expected them to lose. And that might mean eight and four, but this was a really, really good game. And I, I think it was one that LSU needed to sort of toughen itself up before Alabama. Yeah. LSU, uh, what impresses me about them is we've now seen them win all kinds a few different kinds of games. We've seen them right. for they can they can handle their own in a shootout and if they come on to up against a good defense, they can play that kind of game too. A kind of a classic SEC battle, which is kind of what this felt like. And um I think I think the concern trolling about LSU's defense based on the fact that Texas scored a lot of points on them, I think we're done with that, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, Texas isn't good, but that was a different team uh, in all the way. God, week two feels like such a long time ago. Um, I, I think LSU's defense will absolutely have issues with Alabama. Sure. Uh, but, Who no, us? I mean, they, they've got so much talent back there. They've got, like, the, the, and the, the thing about them is they will bend and they will break, but they have exceptional talent. And those guys will make plays at the right time if they need to. Derek Stingley Jr. had an insane read on the ball and an interception yesterday. Best true freshman in the country. Maybe the best cornerback already in college football. So you kind of trust those guys. If, if Grant Delpit's you know, at full health, you trust him and, and Stingley and Clevon Chison to make some game-breaking plays. Uh, Chison did that against Florida. Uh, so, so maybe they, they will give up yards and give up points, but they also have the ability to make the plays they need to make. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's kind of the kind of the conversation that we're used to having with Oklahoma as they contend for titles is that even if even if the defense isn't a top ten caliber defense, I mean, we're talking about you need to make three, four stops a game, and mm-hmm. that's probably plenty for your offense. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. All right, Trey, uh, it's time to talk about 
the Clemson Tigers. They beat Boston College 59-7. to Not notable so much for the outcome or anything like that, but just this is what Clemson ought to be doing to teams like Boston College. And I think we're seeing now that the UNC game was a needed wake-up call and not a sign of things to come, which is maybe more where I was last week. But you, you were ahead of the curve. You knew huh. it was a, you knew it was the wake-up call. Per Anna Hickey, Clemson has now rushed for at least 275 yards in its third consecutive game. They haven't done that since wow. the 2000 season, when they were pretty much, you know, a, a spread, spread to run offense with uh, Woodrow Dantzler back there, quarterback in the Rich Rod days. Um, so. Uh, I mean, that to me, and, and, he, and Trevor Lawrence had a great game too. Only three incompletions, three touchdowns, the the RG3 stat line. I love it. <laughs> um, uh, but the dominance from the Clemson offensive line, who n- not a surprise that they're good, but to see them dominating like that, it's like, well, if they can just destroy you either way, then you just don't really have a chance. Yeah, they got ETN going, 109 yards, three touchdowns. The... the <laughs> I guess I've been pretty stubborn with them, just sort of, you know, assuming they would have days like Saturday, which they've had. And, you know, if you take away Trevor Lawrence's interceptions last week in Louisville, they probably have a similarly lopsided score. Although they did blow out Louisville, who, you know, beat Virginia on Saturday. So maybe Louisville's okay. That road lot, that road game to North Carolina, it, I think for Clemson, I think a lot of people reacted to that because it was, you know, week four, September, North Carolina was so bad last year and but I, I think it's college football and the more the season goes on if you're a fan of any team I think you just are like glad to get off the road with a win like I, I think it's such it's such a weird sport Connor and you can go to Champaign Illinois and you don't bring your best thing and you lose uh, you go to Manhattan Kansas and you don't bring your best and you lose so I Maybe I was stubborn, but I kind of feel, yeah, like they needed the North Carolina game. And if they got out with a win, that's all they needed to do. And now they're sort of back on track. I don't see a disruptor for Clemson the rest of the way. I'd like to know your thoughts on maybe South Carolina the last week of the season. Clemson will have Wake Forest and South Carolina in back-to-back weeks. But this team looks playoff bound, and it looks like they're, they're starting to click at the right time. Yeah, South Carolina is after a bye. Wake Forest honestly seems like the likelier team. I mean, they're they're a better team than South Carolina, uh, the best team left on on Clemson's schedule. Uh, they also Wofford and NC State. So, uh, yeah, not looking terribly likely that Clemson is going to stub its toe on any of its remaining opponents. And boy, is it weird to look at college football teams' remaining schedule and only see one month. Uh, it's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Clemson. Mixed feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mixed feelings about it for sure. Uh, as we see, as we see, college football teams kind of get tired and have some shocking outcomes. I think there are days where I feel like that's me too. Um, but yes. uh, yeah, I, I I don't see that happening. You never know um, for sure. But Trey, we are gonna take a very quick bye week for a commercial break. We'll be back on the other side with uh, some scores from the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Welcome back to the College Football Daily. Still a couple of big scores to get to. Let's start out with the Michigan Wolverines. I picked Michigan to win this game. I never in a million years saw a crushing blowout coming. The Wolverines win 45-14 to in a week. That 
us and we in the media spent speculating about is Jim Harbaugh looking for the exit door. So pretty big emphatic result for uh, Michigan and a result that they desperately needed. It was a throwback game for Michigan too. Three hundred yards on the ground. Uh, Shea Patterson only completes six passes. <laughs> which is not really what I thought Michigan was getting with the Josh Gaddis offense. This is another game that just kind of goes to show you it's such a long season and you just, uh, Hey, I'm the most impatient, you know, person out of anybody, especially if you're talking about a fan, but sometimes it just helps to just, just be patient, just chill out and just see what happens because all of a sudden Michigan enters November with some life. Uh, Connor, are you worried about Notre Dame now? I mean, I, I'm not, not that they have anything to play for. They're out of the playoff right. race, but uh, this was sort of a big stinker. Yeah, I mean, thinking back to, we're talking about how that Clemson US game, we're talking about how that Clemson UNC game really distorted expectations for, I think, both of those teams in a lot of ways. And I, I think that's right up there with Notre Dame, Georgia, in terms mm. of a game that really threw us off in terms of trying to figure out what those teams were all about. And I think what, what really, what we thought was, oh, both Georgia and Notre Dame are really good. And instead, I think it's more like, uh, both Georgia and Notre Dame are fine, I guess. Um, they're, they're certainly not college football playoff contenders, I don't think. Notre Dame, you know, is out of it now. Georgia, I guess, still theoretically has a chance if it wins out. But 303 yards rushing against a defense that had looked pretty good in previous weeks, 149 yards from Hassan Haskins. And Zach Charbonnet, named true freshman of the week by 24-7 Sports for his two touchdowns. Uh, and and where we saw what we saw from the Michigan defense, they've been really impressive over the past month. Only 120 uh, – I'm sorry. Blech. Only 180 total yards allowed, two turnovers forced. You know, Michigan – Their their college football playoff aspirations are gone, I think, at this point with two losses. But peaking late in the season with with the game coming around, I mean, if you you play well and spring an upset there, suddenly it feels like you're rewriting the narrative of this Harbaugh season. That's a big assumption, a big leap to take. But you're certainly feeling a lot better about that than you were even just last week. I'm having a hard time. Like when this is the time of the season where like weeks, week nine, Week eight, week nine, week ten. I just start to all of these results. I just start to compartmentalize them into what it means the last few weeks of the season. So, like I look at Michigan beating Notre Dame, and I just start to think, whoa, like this Michigan Ohio State game, the, yeah. the game is going to be massive. We talk about LSU, Auburn, and we go, okay, LSU. You know, it's like the Auburn game doesn't even matter because we're like, okay, they got through the test. Now they're you know safe and they have a bye week, and then they play Alabama, and. Uh, you know, talk about Clemson and, and, you know, their path to playoff. And I just, I, I don't know. I just kind of started getting really excited about all these really great storylines and matchups beginning to crystallize. You've got Penn State. We're talking Big Ten. You've got Penn State looking like one of the best teams in the country. They've got to play uh, Michigan. And they've, or they already beat Michigan. They've got to play Ohio State later in the season, too. So I don't know. I, I think Michigan, like Clemson, is rounding into form. And look, they lost last week to Penn State. But they had that comeback, and you were right, Connor. Like they, that carried over uh, against Notre Dame. I thought Michigan would lose uh, pretty handily, but hey, maybe Jim Harbaugh knows what he's doing. Headed out to the Big Ten West now, where Maryland lost to Minnesota, fifty-two to ten, and I think Minnesota is now undefeated, 
And I think we have to start asking ourselves exactly how good do we think Minnesota really is. They have a top 10 offense per S&P Plus, but they haven't really played anybody yet somehow. The the highest ranked team they played, according to ESPN's FPI, was number 59. We'll find out pretty (laughs) soon, though. Uh, They've got a bye next week, but then it's Penn State at Iowa at Northwestern and Wisconsin to close out the season. But, I mean, regardless of, you know, whether Minnesota is overrated, potentially kind of coasting on the easiest Big Ten schedule I think you possibly could have put together. I I mean, you're talking about a stretch of four games where they could absolutely win enough of those to win the Big Ten West. Absolutely. And if you've got Penn State and Wisconsin at home, I think an interesting thing here is when P.J. Fleck was at Western Michigan, we uh, we talked about P.J. Fleck a lot, and I think he was you know very loud, vivacious, did the whole row the boat, did the whole elite thing. I'm sure he's still doing that up there at Minnesota, but it's interesting that you know we aren't talking about P.J. Fleck as much as we are just talking about Minnesota being a good football team. Mm. And I think that's kind of cool. I think P.J. Fleck, I think that that's got to be intentional, right? Like I think he must have dialed down the rhetoric a little bit give his team some attention but hey I only point that out and I hate to do it to Minnesota who I actually think now will win the Big Ten West but PJ Fleck is positioned himself as in a coaching carousel that doesn't look like it's going to spin too much like he's he's done what he came to Minnesota to do he revived that program he's probably got a bigger job ahead of him maybe not this year but the next few so that's just, you know, one plot. I, I just think it's interesting that we're not talking about him that much because he, he, hey, he was in the same, you know, same like group of coaches as, as Tom Herman and Matt Campbell. And, you know, right now he might, I, I, it's crazy to say it, but he might have his program headed in a better direction than any of those guys. Yeah, that's, that's a really fascinating point when, you know, when, Western Michigan was having really good seasons. It felt like PJ Fleck was ubiquitous. Like you yep. could not avoid finding out about him. And now that he's doing it at a, at a power five school, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, Minnesota, they're undefeated. Aren't they? How'd that happen? Who's their coach? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, I guess it's partly dependent on what positions end up coming open. Um, right now, as you said, kind of looking quiet, but it kind of feels like, I don't know. Yeah, this is a really good year for them. It feels like maybe it's a year or two early, and I would just imagine he wants to stick just, I mean, not based I on think any, so too. any information. Like, you want to do more than two years to kind of see the project through to fruition um, and and then kind of see where it goes from there. But, um, yeah, really, really interesting. Some, some new blood in that Big Ten West uh, race. It's uh, certainly fun to see. All right, Trey, let's head for the close here by going out west of the Pac-12, where it feels like all of their scores this and every week are produced by a random number generator. The only one that really makes a lot of sense is Utah's 35 to nothing win over Cal. The other big score of kind of national consequences, Oregon 37, Washington State 35. I guess maybe Oregon gets a pass the week after a big road win against Washington, but you know, every time we're talking about the playoff picture on the on on the video show on Thursdays, we get some Pac-12 fans kind of chiming in about, well, hey, what about us? What about us? Well, I don't I don't think Oregon is 
gonna like, it's got to be better than 37 to 35 over Washington State and really almost losing that one to really have a credible case to crack into that conversation. Yeah, they were 14-point favorites. Uh, maybe we should have given the true freshman a week, uh, award uh, to uh, Camden Lewis, who was 3-for-3, three three, hit that game winner. Do you kind of give them a pass, though, after the Washington game? We are kind of in that point in the year where... We're just like, just win, baby, you know? Yeah, just win. It's it's a mess. Like I think these players are starting to get tired and beat up, and especially after an, a big emotional win against Washington. Yeah, I think give them a pass. They've looked solid enough in so many respects. I mean, I I I don't. I, I this doesn't certainly doesn't help their cause to get into the playoff conversation. But they they maybe could have had an opportunity to help their cause with a with a by following last week up with a more emphatic win over a, a overmatched foe. You know, it's kind of interesting when we talk about the playoff now with Oklahoma having a loss. Like, we're going to start comparing Oklahoma to Oregon. And so that means we're going to look at schedules. Mm. And Oregon's loss is for sure way better than Oklahoma's loss. Well, I'm going to be a little bit concerned about the scheduling for Oregon, obviously, no duh, right? Because they don't have any remaining remaining top 25 teams on their schedule. They do have USC. They do have Arizona State. Those are, you know, decent teams. And they would play Utah in the Pac-12 championship. The issue for, for Oregon in a head-to-head battle against Oklahoma is Oklahoma is going to play the best team in the conference twice. Right. Because Oklahoma hasn't played Baylor yet. So Oklahoma would play Baylor in Waco and then would, you know, play Baylor again in the Big 12 championship, I think that would give them the, the leg up. So maybe you're right. Maybe Oregon does need to start blasting people, like in, 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 in a way we can't not pay attention to. I don't I, – the trouble is I don't know if they're, – they're good on offense, but they're just, like, not built to blast people like that. Maybe if the defense is just so good that the other team, like, doesn't score more than 10 points, they could do that. But um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, elsewhere, if you're looking for – Group of five playoff crashers, SMU and App State stayed undefeated, but they're both at SMU's at 15 in the new AP poll. App State is at 20 in the new AP poll. That's probably too far to go. You got too much ground to cover between over the next month, I think, to even like be close to the conversation. I think. Yeah, well, not happening. Not yeah. happening. I'm mad at you for uh, for even getting their hopes up for it. Um, well, <laughs> well, can we I, just can we just enjoy that they're they're undefeated? That the one of these teams will make a New Year's Six bowl. Well, you know the reason, really, the reason I included that in the rundown is I thought it would just be a great segue into mentioning that tomorrow's episode will be <laughs> the one where we break down our personal top fives. It'll be the last such episode. Uh, it's the last week before we get an actual playoff committee top 25. So we'll be rejiggering our format a little bit next week, but tomorrow we will still have our breakdown of our top five teams. But for today's episode, that's going to do it. Oh, that, that I tried to do like a reverse syntax sentence. Oh, I liked it. Did not come up. <laughs> you did? Yeah. But for today, all right. But for today's episode of the College Football Daily, that's going to do it. If you appreciate what we're doing, we ask that you do one thing this week to help us spread the word about the show. Ideally, one of those things would be leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. But, you know, make it a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. 
For Trey Scott and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.